a friend of mine from Australia shared with me this incident that had taken place. A young woman went to see her pastor, and she announced that she is leaving the church. The pastor expressed sorrow at this news, and then he asked her, he said, do you mind telling me why? She said, yes, very simple. Your congregation are constantly gossiping against each other. They're constantly critical of each other. They are constantly criticizing the leadership. They're constant backbiting taking place, terrible things behind the scenes. And, and of course, I can understand, as he shared with me, that pastor's heart sunk. I mean, you know, no pastor wants to hear that. And uh, the pastor become discouraged, but then he quickly recovered, and he asked her if she would do him a favor. He said, "Um, I want you to do me a favor before you leave. Can you take this glass of water? It was filled to the brim. It was right at the edge, filled with water. He said, I want you to take this glass of water, and I want you to walk right around the church building, right around the church plant. Just keep walking around without spilling any of the water. And it was a big church, so she did. I mean, she just kept going right around and came back and brought the glass of water, and she did not spill one drop of water. And so he asked her, he said, how come? How come you never spilled any of the water as you're walking around? She said, well, the answer is very simple. I kept my eyes and my focus and my attention on the glass of water. And if I had to feel my way, I stopped. But I kept my eyes on the glass of water and never spelled any of it. And so the pastor wisely said to her, please, whatever you do, wherever you go, make sure that you never take your eyes off of Jesus. For when you take your eyes off of Jesus, spillage will take place. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, my beloved, the moment we take our eyes off Jesus, there's going to be all kinds of problems, all kinds of offenses. Now, in this series of messages from Selected Psalms, I have sought with all my heart to teach you. These were handpicked, specially selected psalms. They were not arbitrary, kind of put together. In order to show you the importance of keeping your eyes on Jesus. But how do you keep your eyes on Jesus? By constantly keeping your eye on the Word of God. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 6 tells us exactly how you keep on eyes on Jesus by keeping your eye on the Word of God. And if I summarize this particular psalm, it will be like this. Either God's Word will keep you from sin and harm, or sin will keep you from the Word of God and the protection of God. Himerat, please. The secret of God's protection is in the secret of His presence. And the secret of God's presence is in the secret of keeping His Word. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said something that is absolutely fascinating about this whole subject of keeping your eye on Jesus by keeping your eye on the Word of God. Here's what he said. I'm going to quote it word for word so I don't mess it up. God is everywhere. However, 
He does not want us to reach out to Him everywhere, only in His Word. And then he continued, reach out for the Word, and you will grasp Him all right. Otherwise, you are tempting God and setting yourself up for idolatry. Now, before we read this section of the psalm, those eight verses, I want to tell you a few things about Psalm 119. It is 176 verses. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. And it's divided into 22 sections. You see them in your Bibles. Each section is numbered not in numbers like 1, 2, 3, 4. Each section is numbered by the Hebrew alphabet. And so you get the letter Aleph, which equivalent to A, that's the beginning, Aleph, Beth, B, and so on. Each of these sections have different emphasis, but they all, the whole psalm, basically has to do with the importance of the Word of God. For example, you find there is a section where about thanksgiving for the Word of God, another section about the longing for keeping of the Word of God. There is an experiencing of comfort and peace and joy from the Word of God. Then there is the prayer that we might understand and comprehend the Word of God, and on and on and on. But all that long psalm has to do with one important subject, the Word of God. Now, I selected for today the second section, Beth, B equivalent, the second letter of alphabet. And like in the English language, the letter B can be just the letter of the alphabet, or if we say, let it be, in this case, is a word. But when we hear it, it's the same, letter B or the letter B. Now, in the Hebrew language, those letters have meaning. They can be a word by themselves or just a letter. In this case, Beth, or the letter B, means house, from which we get Bethlehem, Bethlehem, or Beth-el, Bethel, the house of God. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 6, this section of Psalm 119 tells us that the only real protection a person can have is when the Word of God finds a home. That's why the letter Beth, of Beth means a house. Unless the Word of God finds a home in our hearts. And that is why this section, Beth, I said, is a house. Or the only safety that a person will ever find when he or she house the Word of God in their hearts. Uh, the only true peace a person can experience is when God's Word finds a home in our minds, in our hearts, in our memories. Why? Because the Word of God will guard you against the enemy of your soul. Only the Word of God will strengthen you in your character and in your conduct. Only the Word of God will sustain you under the pressures of life. Only the Word of God will heal your spirit and bind your broken heart. And that is why Paul said, let the Word of God dwell richly where? In your hearts. But there is a world of difference, my beloved friend, listen carefully, there's a world of difference between fighting the enemy 
in your own strength were trying to overcome temptation by your own strength and fighting in the power of the Word of God. I have tried both, and I testify to you right now that every time I try to do something by the sheer will, by just by sheer determination, I fail every time. But when I fight with the Word of God, I receive victory every time. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. Those of you who remember the old me will remember how I struggled with my weight. And I would go on crash diets, and it worked for a little while. As soon as I get off that diet, what happens? I not only put those pounds back again, I put some more on. (laughs) I mean, had added more pounds. It was like one step forward and two steps backward. One step forward and two steps backward. But you see, that's how it works in the spiritual life as well. This is indeed an illustration for all of us, because what I needed to do, not go on crash diet, but to change my lifestyle and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to change that lifestyle. And so, for all of us, when we try to resist the devil in our own strength, it might work for a little while. You take one step forward, but you find yourself taking two steps backward. When you try to overcome temptation with your own will, uh, with your own determination, and with your own efforts, you will take one step forward and two steps backward. And that is why Psalm 119 verses 9 to 16 tells us two very important things. Write them down if you're taking notes. First of all, it tells us about this indescribable power of the Word of God, verses 9 to 12. Then it tells us about the incalculable preeminence of the Word of God, verses 13 to 16. Indescribable power of the Word of God. Why do I call it indescribable? Because you cannot describe it to somebody else. You have to experience that power for yourself. If I stand here and I eat a nice piece of fruit, and I say to you, oh, that was delicious, don't you think? You said, I don't know what it tasted like. I didn't taste it. You tasted it. It's absolutely true. And that is why it is indescribable. You can't describe it to somebody else. You have to experience it yourself. Question, how do you experience the power of the Word of God? Well, in verse 9, it tells us that it has the power to cleanse us. And in verse 10, it tells us that it has the power to control us. And in verse 11, it tells us that it has the power to correct us. Here it is. Cleanse, control, correct. How can a person keep his or her way pure? By obedience to the Word of God. The psalmist is saying that when it comes to character, when it comes to conduct, No amount of goodwill, no amount of good intentions, no amount of good efforts, no amount of good anything will achieve the desired effect. The best borax that cleanses, the best ammonia that whitens, the best detergent that purifies is in the power of the Word of God. There is a world of difference between what the Word of God says and what the world says. The world says, 
to a young person, sow your wild oats while you're young. Get it out of your system. That's what the world says. The world says, have a fling while you're young. Become religious later on. Listen to me. The problem with this lie, the problem with this fallacy, is that the only thing you're going to reap is the whirlwind. These do-gooders give you false advice, give you lies. They have never taken you to the shepherd's spinal clinic to show you the effect of drunken driving. They never take you to an STD clinic to show you the result of promiscuity. They never take you to a psychiatrist or a psychologist to show you how there are broken hearts and damaged emotions and shattered relationships and fear of intimacy and pain of addiction. They don't. You have to sadly experience that for yourself. But the Word of God warns us. The psalmist is telling us something that the world will never, never, never comprehend, let alone understand. He is saying the younger you begin filling the mind and the heart with the Word of God, the more of His power you experience when you grow up. The younger you begin to make your heart a home for the Word of God, the more peaceful, contented, and joyful you will be later on. I cannot begin to tell you how many I have encountered in the 45 years in the ministry uh, who suffered these awful addictions and, and the destructive behaviors, the inability to relate to spouse, and the inability to relate just to love another person. These are all the results of bad seeds that have been planted early in life. Habits and undisciplined life begins early in life. But thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God that any age and at any stage, the Word of God, when it's applied, it has power to purify. The power of the Word of God not only cleanses, but it also controls. One of the things I did when I was doing my PhD at Emory in the sociology, there were several studies have been done regarding how controls, talking about social controls, help a person. But they're not talking about the Word of God. I'm giving you something that is society can never do. In verse 10, with my whole heart I sought you. Don't let me wander from your command. In other words, keep me under the control of the Word of God. When I was a young man in my teens, I could not wait to get away from home. I wanted it so badly. I want to bolt and get out of that home. After all, I had six older siblings that they were all perfect. And I figured that I will never measure up. <laughs> I wanted freedom to control my life. I resented family pressures. I resented family control. I wanted to experience the world for myself. And so, in my late teens, I found myself 9,000 miles away from home. Man, and I want to live wildly. Nobody knew me. There are no curfews. No one to hold me accountable. 
Now I'm going to run wild, right? Can you imagine me wild? (laughs) Not a chance. Not a chance. Why? Now I can look back. (laughs) What kept me from sinning? What kept me from just living a life of sin, all the stuff that I want to do? It was the Word of God that was planted in my heart early, 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 early on. When the Word of God is planted in an early age, it has a controlling effect. You know, when Daniel and his friends were taken out of the Jewish homes in Israel and dragged into Babylon, I know because modern transportation, but back then, just think about it, 2,500 years ago, it felt like a million miles away. It was only a thousand miles, but it, was a, it felt just another world. There in Babylon, Daniel was away from parental control. Uh, he was away from religious environment. And he was under relentless pressure from the officials in the king's college. <laughs> and yet the Bible said, Daniel in his heart, was determined not to be defiled by the Babylonian culture. Most likely, I'm speculating, I always tell you that, so you know ahead of time, I'm not saying it's in the Word of God. Most likely, somebody said to Daniel, and maybe even one of his fellow Jews, (laughs) Danny boy, when in Rome, do what Romans do. No. Why? Why? Because I treasured the Word of God in my life. I treasured the Word of God in my heart. And now I'm experiencing the control of the Word of God. Danny boy, what would few sips of that delicious Babylonian wine are going to do? Probably nothing. But I know it's going to lead me into idolatry. Situational ethics which is taught in many even Christian environments and Christian colleges, teaches that our actions depend on the circumstances. It just depends on the surroundings. But God's Word said, do the right thing when nobody's watching. When Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, as you know, the Bible was not written. The Word of God was not there. Ah, but Daddy Jacob, Granddaddy Isaac, and most likely Great-Grandpa Abraham have taught Joseph to fear the Lord, and that did it. In the times of temptation, Joseph could have thought, man, I can get ahead in politics. I can get ahead with the Pharaoh's household. I can become rich. I can become powerful. I could experience success. Man, this is my chance. But he said, no. The power of the Word of God cleanses. The power of the Word of God controls. The power of the Word of God corrects. Why? Because there is indescribable power in the Word of God. Secondly, there is incalculable preeminence in the Word of God. Look at verses 13 to 16. Beloved, our generation seems to know the price of everything and the value of nothing. 
See, to treasure the Word of God in your heart is wonderful. It's very good. But you cannot stop there. For the Word of God to have preeminence, we must learn how to apply the Word of God in every area of our life and in every circumstance we face. I want to explain this. Having a headache medicine in your medicine cabinet is great, right? But not using it when you have a headache is not very good. Having money in the bank is wonderful. But not knowing how to go and make a withdrawal, or got the ATM machine these days, and get that money to use it when you need it is not very good. Some people know the Word of God but they don't know how to apply it in every circumstance they face. I knew some people in the past who memorized the Word of God, and yet their life was contrary to the Word of God. What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? Well, that gives me now the segue to come to those three exercises I want you to have. Write them down. The first exercise is that you must speak the Word of God. Verbalize it. The second exercise, that's verse 13. The second exercise, verses 14 and 15, is that you must savor the Word of God. You speak it, and you savor it. And thirdly, the third exercise is that you must substantiate the Word of God in your life. That's verse 16. The psalmist said, with my lips... I have told of all your ordinance. (laughs) Beloved, reading the Word of God right is wonderful. Meditating upon the Word of God rightly is fantastic. Saturating your mind in the Word of God, great. Absolutely great. But then, if it's really going to help you, if it's going to build you up, if it's going to bless you, if you're going to experience its power, then you must be able to, first of all, verbalize it. Verbalize it. I know enough of our Bible study leaders in this church, and we have many wonderfully gifted Bible study leaders. And I talked to some of them. I can't speak for all of them, but I can tell you they would absolutely agree on the, with this statement, that they get more out of it than the people who are listening to them. I know in my life it's absolutely true. I am blessed by the preparation. I'm excited. The preacher gets more than the hearers. And so, I am blessed by verbalizing it on Sunday mornings, as well as all the Bible teachers. Ah, Michael, are you saying to us that every one of us should become a Bible teacher? Yes. (laughs) It's exactly what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm saying. Every one of us. (laughs) How? By sharing with family and friends, and whoever would listen. (laughs) Sharing what? Sharing what the Word of God taught you on a given day. Uh, Sharing with others how the Word of God enriched your life, how in reading and studying the Word of God guided you, guided your steps as you verbalized the Word of God to whomever would listen to you. You are being built from the inside The second exercise is savoring the Word of God. What's that mean? Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as some rejoice in great riches. 
I'm going to take you into fantasy land. Just for a couple of minutes, no more. I want to bring you back, okay? Don't stay there. Suppose you go home this afternoon and you get a phone call. And in that phone call, you're told that you have a rich uncle whom you really did not know existed, has died, and left you a fortune. How do you react? You call your pastor, right? <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm too realistic. I have no expectations. In that. I, I know human nature very well, but <laughs> what your reaction? I mean, you're jumping up and down. You're excited. I mean, you tell your family members. You call them immediately. Let them know. Um, you, you, you want everybody to know what happened. You call your best friend, and, and you're celebrating. And I mean, you're on cloud nine, right? And the psalmist said that this is how you should feel about the Word of God. It's like having inherited a fortune every day. Every day. You are so joyful, you're overwhelmed, and you cannot wait to share it with others. The preeminence of the Word of God causes us to verbalize the Word of God to others. The preeminence of the Word of God causes us to savor and rejoice in sharing with joy with others. And thirdly, the third exercise, because it's the preeminence of the Word of God, is found in substantiating it in your life. Substantiating it. What does that mean? Speaking it? Yes. Savoring it? Yes. Verse 16, substantiating it. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. How? How? By allowing the Word of God to be demonstrated in your life. By allowing the Word of God to be proven. Now, the Word of God is true whether it's proven or not, but when you allow it to be proven in your life, you receive blessing like you have never received before. When David was on the run from King Saul, just think about this, okay? Think with me. This young man with a motley crew, the king of Israel, and his whole army chasing this man. David knew he was anointed king when he was a young man. And he knew he was going to be king because God keeps his word. And he's done nothing wrong and everything right. One day, David had a chance to be freed up from all this chasing, from all of his trouble. He had the chance to be delivered from the pain and the suffering. David and his small motley crew were walking by, passing a cave, and there is Saul, the king, and his entire army. They were in deep sleep. There is no telling how long they've been walking. or They were so tired. They were in deep sleep. A bomb would not have woken them up. They were so deep in sleep. And man, David got his chance. Sweet revenge, right? Oh, no. No. David, God brought you an opportunity. Kill the rascal. What an opportunity, David, to finally you be king. What an opportunity, David, to save your life and save yourself and your family and your friends. A lot of headaches and suffering. Oh, 
David not only knew the Word of God, treasured the Word of God, but he applied the Word of God. He obeyed it even when it's not advantageous to him. He proved it in his life, and God honored him for it. Demonstrating the Word of God in David's life taught him that shortcuts, shortcuts in your business deals, in your business negotiations, shortcuts in any decision you're making in life, shortcuts are no good. Shortcuts are filled with worse grief. Shortcuts are short-lived. <laughs> David, who knew not only the Word of God, but he demonstrated the Word of God in his life, he comes as close to the king as to take his garb and cuts a piece of it. Imagine, his motley crew probably was saying, stab him, stab him. He's asleep. He won't even know what happened. He said, no. He cuts a small piece of the garment in order to prove to the king what the Word of God said. Harm not God's anointed. Touch not God's anointed as demonstrating the Word of God. And trusting, as I said in the last message, trust in God's timing. Let's say it again. Trust. Beloved, knowing the Word of God is good, but not good enough. Substantiating the Word of God is what honors God. Proving it in your life is what God blesses in your life. Applying it in everyday situation brings about God's pleasure over you. Do you want God's protection? You have to have God's presence. You want God's presence? Allow the Word of God not only dwell richly, but be applied and demonstrated in your everyday decision-making. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.